signing or visiting with us, whether you are in our community or whether you're from afar, we just want you to know that we're happy to have you uh, here with us as we worship God together with one another. I hope that everyone has had a wonderful Thanksgiving, that it has been good for you, albeit a little bit different. After all, we're in 2020 and there's nothing normal about 2020. In fact, in my estimation, it might be the year that goes down in infamy, at least with this generation certainly has been a change for us. This morning, I want us, after a holiday break, to return back to our theme and talk about identity and to talk about embracing your unique gifts and talents that God has blessed you with. Now, we've been looking at Romans, the 12th chapter, and so if you open your Bibles to that section of Scripture, in Romans chapter 12, Paul begins by saying, I urge you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then he goes down and he begins to talk about how the body is to work together and that we're to use our gifts for the benefit of all. And then in verse 6, he begins to outline the gifts before us. There he says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the portion of his faith, if service in his serving or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with chauffeurness. And so he lays out for us seven gifts for us to think about, and we've been calling these the motivational gifts. And the reason why they're called motivational gifts is because these are gifts that God has placed in the hearts of individuals that motivate them to do specific acts of service for his church. And as you go down through them, you'll see that they are uniquely stand apart from one another, and yet therefore the benefit of the body. Now, for the last couple of weeks, or at least two weeks back, we talked about the first gift, which was that of prophecy, which is that of a bold proclamation. And there, this is a gift that motivates people or individuals to proclaim God's truth with an emphasis on repentance, calling people to change their lives and to move away from sin. And then we talked about service, and we talked about it you know, as those who are devoted to service. And we said that this is a motivational gift that motivates certain people to, to be able to recognize needs in other individuals and then to, to serve them. This morning, I wanted to look at the third gift, and that, of course, is the gift of teaching. When you talk about the gift of teaching, it's the gift that motivates people to want to teach. It's, it is placed within them this compassion or, the, or this passion or this strong desire to communicate God's will to others, to study God's word, and, and then to help people to uh, practice it in their lives. So it's the gift of teaching. Before I get into this particular gift, though, let me just talk to you a little bit about something that I've discovered. The more that I've studied this section of scripture, I've come to this, I think, understanding, and it's this. I believe that when you talk about these motivational gifts, they are gifts that are already reflected in every Christian's life. In other words, I believe that there are specific gifts that are given to individuals that you know, are, are within their hearts that drive them or that they have this passion to do, but it really is our gifts, seven gifts that we're all to practice in our lives in a general kind of way. For instance, every Christian should be willing to call sin, sin. That's what it means to have this idea of what a prophet does. Or every Christian ought to serve. Every Christian ought to encourage. Every Christian ought to give to others, whether you're talking about monetarily, which I think that that probably is what Paul is talking about, but also 
giving of our emotion and giving of our time and, and our energy. Every Christian ought to be able to lead in their realm of influence. Every Christian ought to show mercy to those who are around them. And I would submit to you that every Christian ought to be a teacher as well. So when you get looking at these gifts here, I thought to myself, why is it then that if all of us are expected to do these things, why is it that certain people have these, these gifts, these special gifts that seem to separate them at least to some degree from those who are around them? And here's what I think I've come to understand about this. Years ago, when I was a young man, I used to play uh, baseball. I used to play a lot of baseball. And at one point in my playing years, I played on several semi-pro teams. Semi-pro teams, if you don't know what they are, semi-pro teams are made, are made up of players that are either presently playing in college or had one, at one time played in college, or they're ex-professionals. It could be in that they played in minor league baseball or they played in independent leagues or, or maybe some of them even played all the way up in the big leagues, in the major leagues. I played with one guy who was our shortstop. He played for the Giants all the way at the top of his game. Almost every player on our team, except for two of us, the right fielder and myself, every one of them played either in collegiate baseball or they played professionally as baseball players. That which separates semi-pro baseball teams, though, from other baseball teams is the fact that you're allowed to take one player and you're allowed to pay that player. The rest are all considered to be amateurs, especially when it comes down to collegiate players. Amateurs, but you could take one player and you could pay him a stipend or, or pay him a wage to play for your team to give you an edge over the other, the other teams. During that player was a utility player, which means he could play almost any position at any given time, or it could be that it was he was an ace pitcher, a great pitcher. Over in Sunnyside, one of the teams that we played, Mel Stottlemyre, who once played for the New York Yankees, he pitched for them at the end of his career and, and, and helped them out. And you could tell he was a professional uh, pitcher. On our team, I think we had three guys who played all the way up into uh, the, the minor leagues, you know, and, and were great pitchers, and they never let you hit a ball straight over the plate unless it was just by, by accident. Or it could be that it was a designated hitter, a guy who could really put the bat on, on the ball. So that's what separated, and there was a word that we gave to guys like that, and that's the word a ringer. That team has a ringer. Now, we didn't have ringers on our team because we had some great ball players, but there were other teams that would come over generally from Seattle that had a player or two who were ringers. If, if they weren't ringers and paid you know, right then, then they worked for the company that the team was sponsored by, and so we called them ringers. They were special players. And I got to thinking about the church. In the church, at least to some degree, I would say that God plants ringers among us. Think, for instance, about our singing. Before the pandemic went on, we used to gather on the first Sunday of every month in an evening, and we would practice a new song or learn a new song. And guys like Adam Clark or John McCarthy or, or Dave Rich or Dana Patterson or Wendell Welch or someone like that would take that specific song and they would teach us the songs and teach us the parts. And, and we would generally break up into groups or divide ourselves with the, you know, with the sopranos and then the tenors and the altos and the basses and sprinkled among those individuals were people who had very strong voices. They had trained voices. It may have been that they were in a choir or in a chorus or sang on uh, some singing group, but they were the, the good singers. And so if you were a soprano and you wanted to learn how to really sing soprano in a good way, then if Jill Hoy Heller's 
Lipscomb was here, then you'd want to sit beside her or one of the rich women. You might want to sit beside them because they have these incredible soprano voices. If you wanted to uh, sing in the alto section, then you might want to sit beside uh, Stephanie Coleman or Tina Coleman. They have great altos. But anyway, in the tenor section, the same way, the bass section, the same way. There was the adenoid section. The adenoid section is the section I always sang in. And so I could sing anywhere from soprano all the way down to the basses, and you wouldn't know the difference. But if you're smart, you would always try to get close to a person who has this strong, trained voice, and I would say that those people are, are ringers. And I would say the same when you talk about the spiritual gifts. All of us ought to be encouragers. Ought to, all of us ought to be teachers. All of us ought to show mercy. All of us ought to be, to be something within those seven gifts. But there are some who seem to have a certain edge there. They seem to have a certain gift of being able to do those things in incredible and wonderful kinds of, of ways. So you would call them the ringers in the church. When you get back to the section on teaching and the gift of teaching that Paul mentions here in Romans 12, I think that there is an sense where each and every one of us ought to be teachers. In fact, I'm convinced that all Christians ought to be teachers, that we ought to mature to the point where we're able to explain the gospel and teach the word of God to those who are around us. In our society, we have a great respect for teachers. We probably don't pay them near as much as they are worth, but we respect them. And one of the reasons why we respect teachers is because what they contribute to society is an incredible thing. They teach our children. They teach our children not only various informational kinds of things, but they also teach them how to be good citizens and, and how to be good people. And we want our teachers to be good examples. And so we respect uh, teachers. It's kind of like the little boy Johnny. Johnny comes home with his report card, and his dad looks at his report card, and he sees that he has low marks. So he has a sit-down with his son. The next day, little Johnny, he goes back to school, and Johnny walks up to the teacher's desk, and he's, he's standing there, and the teacher can tell that, that Johnny is wanting something. So she says, Johnny, what do you want? And little Johnny says to his teacher, he says, well, teacher, I don't want to scare you, but my daddy says if my grades don't come up, someone is going to get a spanking. Now, who was he talking about? Was he talking about himself, or was he talking about the teacher? Well, he is talking about the teacher. He had misunderstood what his daddy had said to him. But, you know, listen, we expect certain things out of our teachers. We respect teachers, but we expect a lot out of them. And it's no different when you talk about the church. There's a point when we as Christians ought to mature to the point where we can communicate our faith to others. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, over in Hebrews, the fifth chapter and verse 12, as Paul is talking to uh, or where, as the writer of Hebrews is, is speaking, he's talking about Melchizedek and his priesthood and how Jesus, you know, is a contemporary or one who moves past even Melchizedek. And he says, I need to talk to you about these things, but you have become dull of hearing and you need someone to teach you. And then he says these words in verse 12. He says, for by this time, you ought to be teachers, but you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. It says, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. There is an indictment there. 
where the writer's saying, listen, there comes a point in each Christian's life where we ought to become teachers. So in a general sense of the word, all of us ought to be able to teach others, certainly about the basics of our faith and who we are and why we are, what we are and, and why we do the things that we do as, as Christians. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, listen, that might go easily off your tongue, Richard, but I'm not a teacher. So let's talk about you, the teacher. And let's talk about some ways that you teach and maybe may not even be aware that you are teaching. For instance, how about Facebook? Any of you on, on Facebook? Well, if you've spent any time on Facebook, I didn't start until like nine months ago. I did it because of, I thought the congregation, I need to be aware of what's going on with the congregation and stay connected with the congregation. But I found myself being one of these guys who found myself maybe on it too much and watching people. And I noticed that people had patterns. And people, if you watch them long enough, you'll find out that people comment about the things that are important to them. It might be politics. It might be sports. It might be current events. It might be family. But they're going to write about those things. They're going to share what's going on in their lives. And sometimes their sharing has a little bit of an agenda behind it because they're pushing something. It could be they're pushing current events or they're pushing politics or they're pushing family or those things. Some of it is positive, some of it is negative, but nevertheless, they're sharing. And sharing is what you care about and what you care about are the things you teach about. You're giving information to individuals. So you might be saying, okay, well, I don't do Facebook and I don't do internet. Well, if you're just out with someone and maybe you're visiting and, and you start talking about children or grandchildren, is there a possibility maybe you pull out your cell phone? And as you pull out your cell phone, you go over to the pictures and you begin to show pictures of your children or your grandchildren or some place that you have visited or something that you have done. You know, you do those kinds of things. Maybe you've talked about your favorite team. Or maybe you're talking about your opinion about a certain presidential candidate. What I'm saying to you is that you're sharing what you care about, and the things that we share and care about are the things that we oftentimes teach people, and we're not even aware that we are doing it. And that should be something that should be true even when it comes down to our religious faith. We share the things that are important to us. In fact, Jesus wants us to share him with those that we come into contact with. Matthew, the 10th chapter, and verse 37 that you see behind me, Jesus said, Any who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who, does not, does not, who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about things that are important to us. If you were to substitute the word son and daughter or husband and wife or anything like that and change it with another word, then you'd get the idea. For instance, anyone who loves politics more than me is not worthy of me. Any who loves sports more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves jobs is, uh, uh, more than me is not worthy of me. You can put all kinds of substitutes there for what I just said, and you get the idea of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is Jesus is saying that, we ought, that he ought to be so important to us that he is a part of which just comes off naturally out of our mouths or off our lips because 
of our relationship that we have with Jesus. So it's important that we're able to communicate and to share, and that's called teaching. I think that's true when you talk about you as a teacher and being a parent or a grandparent. On that passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, verses 5 through 7, there says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and you shall love him with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You are to impress upon their minds, your children's minds, the commandments. When you rise up in the morning, you are to be talking to them about it. When you lie down at night, you are to be talking to them about it. When they rise up in the morning, you are to be impressing this upon them. If we were to take this thing and break it down to parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, we would see that we have a responsibility to be teachers of God's word and that we need to communicate that to our, our children to our grandchildren, to our nieces and nephews. We are to impress upon them. We are to talk to them about those things. But let's now get down to talking about this particular gift itself and how this gift of teaching is different from just the general idea of each of us being teachers and how we might embrace this gift. This gift is talking about a teacher who has a driving passion to talk about Christ, to talk about him. Everywhere they go, they want to talk about Jesus, and they want to communicate uh, God's word. They want to share God's words. They, are, they, they have a passion for studying it and getting into it and learning it. Uh, they have a voracious appetite for the word of God. It just drives within them. But only certain people have this gift. Not everyone has this driving passion to study God's word. I mean, that's just the truth. Not everyone has this driving passion to share God's word. I'm not saying that's a negative, okay? You understand. I'm saying that there's something, pers- or something uh, certain about an individual that I call a ringer, someone that is there to help the congregation to shine, someone that is there to help the congregation to go the extra mile, to do even more, to give examples. But the truth of the matter is, is that not everyone is a teacher. Not everyone has that gift of being a, a, a teacher. I was reading uh, about a, a, uh, a congregational educational committee that was trying to find different teachers. And so the deacon over this educational committee, they were interviewing uh, teachers, so they came to this one man and they asked him, do you love the Bible? And he says, oh man, he goes, I, I love the Bible. Well, what, is your, what would you say your favorite story in the Bible is? And he says, well, my favorite story in the Bible is the Good Samaritan. Okay, said the digging, he says, why don't you share with us the story of the Good Samaritan? They want to see how he would you know, articulate this story. And so the man began his account of this famous parable and he said, There was a good Samaritan going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the thorns, and they sprang up and choked him and left him half dead. So he said, I will arise. And he arose, and he came to a tree for 40 days and 40 nights, and the ravens fed him. Then Deliah came alone with a pair of shears and cut off his hair, and he fell on stony ground, and he said again, I will arise. And so he came up to a wall, and Jezebel was sitting on the wall, and he cried out, Chunk her down! So they chunked her down. He said, chunk her down 70 times. And great was the fall thereof, and the fragments that remained, they picked up 12 baskets full, but whose wife will she be in the resurrection? 
Okay, well, that's really an exaggeration of a bad storyteller and certainly the Good Samaritan. But if you think about it, isn't that a lot like that song that's really popular, Hallelujah? Hallelujah, hallelujah. And then it's just a messed up story about what the Bible talks about. I mean, it uses a lot of different incidents out of the Bible, throws it together, and it becomes a hit song. And it's like this guy telling the story of the Good Samaritan. Not everyone is a good Bible teacher. Not everyone has the gift of Bible teaching. Not everyone who desires to teach is able to articulate truths in a way that everybody can understand and apply to their lives. But there are those who specifically are gifted Bible teachers. And so how do you know if you have this gift of of teaching? Well, let me share with you some of the areas that I think might help us to recognize whether you have the gift of teaching. In my estimation, I think we have a lot of gifted teachers in our congregation. I think we're blessed with that. But those who have the gift of teaching, they have a passion for studying the scriptures. If I were to think of a person that I could drop a name on that isn't a member of this congregation, but I know is a great student of the scripture and loves the study of scripture would be Guy Orberson. Guy loves studying the scriptures. I mean, it's something that just drives him. He has this, this huge passion to study the word of God. And sometimes I tease him and I say to him, well, you know, Guy, we're to be worshiping God, not worshiping the scriptures. And Guy will say, well, I know that. But man, he loves the study of the scriptures. I mean, he, he, he adores it. They love people that they are teaching. I mean, they just love to, be, love to take what they know and to teach to those that they, they love. And so they have a love for, for people. In our congregation, I can think of teachers, both men and women, who have that kind of a drive. I mean, they love to study. I can think of, especially, say, our elementary teachers. I can think of one woman that she, she has such a love for uh, teaching children. She can take difficult truths and make them very simple without losing any kind of accuracy. She studies deeply in what the scripture. She uses a, a myriad of ways to teach a truth. It could be blacklight. It could be flannels. It could be role playing. It could be PowerPoint. It might be overhead projector or something. But she uses a lot of different methodologies of getting the truth out to these young people, and she teaches it gently uh, to them. Is that a great example for other uh, teachers? We have men in our congregation that you can tell pour themselves over their studies. And so they gather as many facts as they, they can. They do a very thorough research. They not only study the text itself, but they study the context of it. They might even study the historical context or the culture that surrounds the text. Maybe they study into the words themselves. If not the words, maybe the phrases that are there, but they break it down in a thorough kind of research where they gather as much, as, as much information and facts as they possibly can to make the Bible come alive. That's a great teacher. That's a person who is a, a gifted uh, teacher. Uh, they're uneasy with subjective truth. Uh, Charles, you know, he was talking about how he could imagine uh, heaven. And when Jesus was on the cross, how the angels must have wanted to come down and intervene. And you could tell he was uneasy with saying that. To some degree, he says, well, that's just my thoughts. Those are just, that's just my imagination. 
I, by the way, probably share the same imagination. But, and so we share things that are there, but it makes you a little bit uneasy when you do so. And that's why preachers such as myself or teachers might say, well, this is my opinion, or this is my conviction, or this is what I believe. So I'm telling you, and I think I've got the objective information behind it, but I'm subjectively sharing some things with you. Well, teachers like that aren't easy. They tried to clarify misunderstandings, and that's oftentimes why some guys will use Greek words, words that maybe they can't even pronounce, but they use it because those words help clarify a truth that they're trying to communicate. They tend to present truth systematically. They just don't throw out truth there. They have outlines of the truth. They have a rhyme to the reason so that you as listeners can easily follow down through the stagings of the teaching and put it together in a conclusive kind of way. The Bible is the sole uh, foundation of the truth. It's not that they don't use commentaries or they don't other use other kinds of books. It's not that they don't listen to other writers or listen to other teachers or, or preachers, but their sole foundation of the truth is found in the scriptures. They recognize that commentaries are just that. They're written by man. This is written by God. And so the Bible is their sole foundation for the truth. They're always trying to improve on this skill. Uh, they don't want to be the same. They want to always grow in how they present the word of God to those who are around them. And they use a variety of ways of presenting the word to others. So I think that's like nine or ten, I think, bullet points that I've shared with you of how you might be able to identify whether you are gifted in this area. Just look at it. I don't think you have to have all of them to be that person, but some of them should earmark you. Certainly that you do research and you gather as much information and your Bible is your sole foundation and you have this passion or this desire to study God's word. And it's obvious to those who are listening to you because they can tell that you have put time into your, your studies. However, there's some cautions to those who have the gift of teaching. And here are several for you to think about. Number one, they must be careful to avoid pride or self-righteousness or thinking that they are more advanced than others. And I think that's why Paul says in verse 3, do not, over, do not highly esteem yourself or think too much of yourself because you have a gift. Recognize that that gift is given to you for the benefit of the congregation, not for your benefit, not so that you can say that I am gifted and you are not. And so you got to be careful of pride or self-righteousness. I remember uh, hearing about a young preacher who was teaching his class, and an older member of the congregation, a woman, asked him a question. And his answer to her was this, how long have you been a Christian and you don't know the answer to that question? Well, that's just a lot of pride and arrogance there. I mean, he may have studied it and knew about these things, but maybe this older lady didn't, hadn't gotten that far, at least in that part of her her Bible. So I think you have to be careful about becoming prideful or arrogant or self-righteous about your gift of being able to teach and, and things like that. They must be careful not to let human reasoning overshadow biblical truth. Commentaries are great. Encyclopedias are great. Bible dictionaries are great, but they are written by men. Never forget that. And oftentimes men have an agenda. Maybe it's, a self, uh, it's an unconscious agenda, but they have an agenda that goes according to their religious beliefs that they might have within their commentary. Or if you have a study Bible, say like a Ryrie study Bible, and at the bottom of it you have 
notes there. Well, you can understand that Ryrie's going to have a bent because he's a dispensational premillennialist, and so he's going to go in that direction, or it could be a Calvinist or whatever. So, so understand that people, uh, as student or as teachers, you got to be careful that you don't let human reasoning overshadow biblical truths, and you need to be careful not to become argumentative or divisive. Now, I have to watch myself in this area. Because once I have a conviction, I get pretty strong on that conviction. And when someone doesn't agree with my conviction, then I can get argumentative about that. And so I have to, oftentimes when I'm teaching a class and I'm saying something, I have to say something like, well, that's interesting and I never thought of it that way. <laughs> and then move on. Especially if it's not a salvation issue or something that huge of a, a thing. When I was in school on my exit uh, meeting with the directors and the faculty, when I exited out, uh, they pulled me aside and they said, listen, Richard, we want to share with you some things. Here are the strengths that we think you have as a, a, a person going out to work in full-time ministry. Here's, one of your, here's some weaknesses, and here's one of your weaknesses. One of your weaknesses is you're going to see things very quickly that other people don't see. You're like that in Bible class. You're like that in our classrooms where you see things and you get really excited about those things and you want to tell people about those things and when you tell people about those things, they're going to sit there with dead eyes. You're going to think it's great information and they're going to think, ah, it's boring. And it, so you just need to know that. And so don't get upset and don't argue with them about it and don't get divisive about it because you see things that maybe other people don't see. Know that that's one of your, your weaknesses. Now, they also shared a bunch more, but that's one of them. So those who have the gift can help people to learn deeper truths of the Bible, and they can inspire others to study the Bible on their own. Uh, not only that, when gifted teachers do it right, uh, it can change the lives of those who sit at their feet and learn God's word. That's how important it is. A family was at a pizza restaurant. And as they were sitting down as a family, they were a Christian family, and as they sat down, the waitress came and they took their order and then she walked away. And the mother and father said, well, this would be a good time for us to maybe learn a Bible passage. And so they brought out Colossians 3 and verse 23. And there it says, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. So the mother said to her children, she goes, let's watch our waitress. Let's watch how she works and see how she does. And so they're watching the waitress and the children were commenting along the way and they were saying, wow, you know, the waitress, she came to us and, and she brought us the extra napkins that we asked about and she did it with a smile on her face. She came and she refilled our drinks and she wasn't crabby about it or, or anything like that. And we've been watching her. She's been standing up the whole time and moving here and there. And she has, you know, she has a smile on her face and she has a good spirit about it. And she hadn't been crabby about anything. That waitress didn't know she was teaching children at that moment. She was teaching them about life. And she was being observed. I think that when we just talk about all of us being teachers, is recognized that people are observing us. They're watching us all the time. And you say, I'm not a teacher. I'm just telling you, you are a teacher. And when you do it right, you impact other people's lives. And when you have the gift of teaching, 
when you have this passion, this desire to study God's word and then to communicate it to others, what a powerful gift that is. Because it's through the word of God that men and women are saved and stay saved. And so use your gift. Um, multiply that gift. Increase that gift. Get more skillful with the use of the gift. And it will make our congregation a great congregation. So that's the third gift. The gift of teaching. God bless you if you have that gift. And may we as a congregation grow together with one another. So the lesson is is yours. Of course, the greatest teacher of all time was Jesus Christ. He taught us how to live life. He taught us how to live life by word and by example. We could follow him and know that we will be taught the truth and we will be led in the truth. One of the truths is, as Jesus says, no man comes to the Father except by me. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And if you don't, what can you do to make that right? Well, on the day of Pentecost, when they recognized that they were sinners, they asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, on that day, over, uh, over 3,000 were baptized into Christ in verse 41 there. Maybe that's what you need to do this morning. Or if you're in the audience and you've thought about that uh, on the a streaming audience, then let Clint or Jared or myself know, and we will assist you in your being brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or if you're a Christian, maybe you've been walking in a way that's the opposite of what Christ would have you do, maybe now would be a good time for you to repent of that and make a change. Whatever way that we might be able to assist you, won't you do so while together we stand and sing and give you that opportunity.